This is your Startup Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Brad Feld. Hi, I'm Ian Hathaway. I'm Chris Hively and your host. Your Startup Community Podcast is for any startup community enthusiast hoping to grow your local ecosystem. This podcast has something for every ecosystem actor, whether you're an economic development leader, serial entrepreneur, a co-working coordinator, an angel investor, a corporate executive, or a university researcher. Basically, everyone who cares about your community and the startups within. If we do our job right, there should be something tangible for you to take away and apply to your journey as soon as tomorrow. In our previous episode, we tackled measurement from a more conceptual point of view. But in this episode, we're gonna dive into more of the tactical aspects of measuring your impact and progress. To best serve this topic, we again will have only one guest, Rhett Morris, formerly of Endeavor Insights and currently with Common Good Labs. Brett will share with you all how he has measured ecosystems around the world with some amazing insights on what makes for a growing ecosystem. As always, Ian and I will set up the topic, then we'll be followed by Rhett, we'll talk about his work, and then we'll finish up with Brad, who will weigh in and provide us some more context of how you and your peers can accelerate your startup community. Let's get started. Ian, in the previous episode, we focused on measurement more as a concept. But in this episode, I'd like to focus a little bit more on maybe the tactics of what a community builder might think about when applying our mindset around measurement in their community. That mindset was more about influencers and relationships. You mentioned that relationships are key. How do I even think about measuring relationships in a startup community? So we'll look at a few types of key Uh, relationships that form around entrepreneurs. Uh, First and most obvious is investor relationships, whether it's an individual, angel investors, or venture firms. We'll want to know who those people are and what what their backgrounds are. There are databases that exist to capture a lot of this activity, but early on, you, you sort of need to collect that data from the ground up. The second most important relationship is mentoring relationships. So you know, practically speaking, how do we gather that kind of data? We can survey entrepreneurs. Through survey, we can sort of say who are, who are the five most influential people who have helped you with your business or who's been an active mentor to you. We'll also look at other relationships where valuable learning and exchange takes place, such as previous employment or universities attended. And I'm sensing from you in that this is a kind of a new age kind of measurement perspective that we covered in the, in the first episode, but you're putting this into play now. And it's really not just looking at the arc of more, more, more. When you're talking about mapping relationships, this is not typical business measurement where we're looking at revenues or profits or you know, product development. These things seem to be a little bit more maybe qualitative than quantitative. When you're mapping these relationships, what are you looking for is this a change over time? Is that the key to this? Is this the quality of the mentorship? What are you looking for? Yeah, just using the basics of social network theory, we believe that people are influenced by those they're connected to and they're those they're working most closely with, right? And so whoever you're getting investment from, advice from, where you worked, who you went to school with, all of those things will influence ultimately who you become and your success. And so We want to understand who those key influencers are, what their backgrounds are, if they have key industry experience or if they've been entrepreneurs. Those are some of the things that that we'll be looking for. 
a lot of the work that Endeavor Insights has done to kind of set up this relationship mapping stuff takes a lot of work. How can community builders start thinking about doing this without doing a multiple thousand, hundred thousand dollar engagement? Yeah. What you're referencing is the work that Endeavor Insights did in partnership with the, the Gates Foundation, where they looked at the interconnectedness of entrepreneurial ecosystems in a few emerging market cities. So the key thing about that research is that it was thorough, right? Like, so this was done on such a large scale as to meet research standards. And what that means is that it helped establish this concept of connectedness around entrepreneurs and who they're connected to, especially people with entrepreneurial experience as being a key performance indicator for an ecosystem. It established that as a fact with sort of robust evidence base. Now that we know that, when we take that into practice, if we just want to understand the performance of our own ecosystem and how that performance is changing over time, we don't have to meet such lofty standards. So one thing we might do, instead of mapping literally every single relationship around every single uh, tech company founded during a particular period of time, what we might do is ask entrepreneurs, hey, who are the five most inf influential people in your world, right? Or who's invested in your company? Have you had mentors? Have you mentored other people? And so we'll sort of get their top hits, you know, who's your top five, who's your top three. And as we start to aggregate those, what we find pretty quickly is that a lot of the same names surface. And then you start to understand who's having an outsized influence in that ecosystem. So Ian, I'm a economic development folks. I'm, I'm working in government. I'm at the chamber. Maybe I'm an entrepreneur. I'm really enthusiastic about wanting to do this. I'm reading the books from you and Brad. I'm listening to Hively here, you know, we're blogging, we're trying to change a mindset. Measurement's a big piece of that. What I'm hearing from you is that there is a way to do this little relationship mapping thing, even if you're a nascent or developing community. And out of that, what I want to measure is the amount of the serial entrepreneurs that are influencers, that are mentors versus maybe the others. And then I can measure and develop activities by which I could hopefully increase that either locally, regionally, however I can get there. And that's a great kind of arc in terms of measuring kind of the movement of my community and to focus on the activities that hopefully yield the results that, I, that I'm looking for. Yeah. As I mentioned on the previous episode, I think too much attention is paid to macro level outcome variables like venture capital raised or exits or even number of startup companies formed, I would encourage people, especially those who are either building and operating programs or those who are funding them, to think about tracking meaningful metrics around whether those programs are achieving the stated goals. With the theory being that if these programs are achieving their intended purpose, the startup community overall is improving, right? So if the objective for a networking event is, in fact, for people to meet. Um, you need to go a step further than who attended uh, that event and talk to people, you know, two, three, four months down the road and ask them what, well, what meaningful changes in your life occurred due to these events, right? There are the series of events. Who did you meet? What sort of innovation spun out of that? Because the that actually takes time to materialize. And so those would be the kind of questions that I'd be looking to answer. We've been talking to my good friend and collaborator, Ian Hathaway, co-author of The Startup Community Way and a longtime researcher. 
Now let's bring in Rhett Morris and do a super deep dive on why and how we can best measure community and ecosystem progress. Rhett, you previously held roles at Bain Consulting and Endeavor Insights as the director of the Center for High Impact Entrepreneurship, which is one of the coolest titles ever. If that does not qualify you as the perfect guest for today, I don't think anything will. You and your team have written some of the most definitive research reports that I've ever read with a keen focus on relationship mapping techniques. I have shared your Fostering Entrepreneurial Ecosystems document to hundreds of people and highly recommend that every community enthusiast read it at least twice. In the previous episode, we talked a lot about complex systems versus complicated systems and how the systems approach influences what we measure. Today, I want to dive in on the types of activities that we can measure to hopefully achieve better community outcomes. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the different systems so we can kind of set a foundation for the next discussion point. When we think about how information moves in a complicated system versus a complex system and how actions are managed, as you can imagine, it's totally different. So in a system like the engine of a car, we, we just need to know a couple of things about each part, right? Are the tires aligned, right? Are the pistons firing on time? Is the exhaust fan turning? Right? And those things are very measurable, right? Very because measurable. They're visible and-, and because we basically need each part of a complicated system, like the engine of a car, to do one thing right? It's just doing one thing that leads to the next thing to the next thing. Kind of like the old game mousetrap, right? Like you push the ball that drops the basket. In a complex system, each actor or each component of the system isn't necessarily just doing one thing. In complex systems, the actors that are involved, they often exhibit what's called multiplexity. So thinking about an entrepreneurship community, um, because it's a complex system, we see that the people who work in or who are part of entrepreneurship communities also show that multiplexity. That's a perfect launch point. I'd love for you to scratch in a little bit, high level, and talk about your report you did, I think, in October of 2019, comparing Nairobi and Bangalore, and two distinct approaches to ecosystem building and what you found as results. I'd be glad to. So this was a piece of research I did when I was working at Endeavor Insight, and it was co-authored with my, my good friend, Lily Turek. Uh, and we were doing this project for the Gates Foundation. They came to us and said, look, as we're trying to help create prosperous communities focused on helping people have access to, to things like uh, banking and other things, or just more prosperity in places in Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, we see that there's a lot of effort being made to support local entrepreneurs. And we think that this is really important. But when we look at different communities, we see that in certain places, the entrepreneurs building these kind of technology-based businesses are really thriving. And in certain places where we work, specifically Bangalore and India, there have been a large number of companies um, that have really scaled up, that are that have created solutions that, that now are global in nature. You know, if you look at the amount of the exits that those companies have had or the amount of funding that they're raising, it's easily a top 15 or so entrepreneurship community for technology-based companies in the world far better than most cities in the United States even. But you compare that um, to places like, specifically in this case, we looked at Nairobi and said, you know, Nairobi, here's a place where there actually is a lot more support coming in from outside. Aid organizations, international foundations, and others are pouring tons and tons of money to support local entrepreneurs. But yet, as of the time we collect this data, and I'd say even up to now, 
not seeing the same amount of entrepreneurs really building businesses that are employing lots of people, creating prosperity. The general question we had was, why is Bangalore thriving and why was Nairobi kind of struggling? And what did you find out? So what's really interesting was that the communities of entrepreneurship made up of the relationships um, between entrepreneurs and other kind of key leaders like investors or people who run accelerator organizations, the structure of the two communities was completely different. And so in Bangalore, what you had was a number of initial entrepreneurs who had started out and had some level of success. And we measured this by saying that the company reached at least 100 employees in size, right? Some of these went on to huge success, creating kind of multi-billion dollar companies that are publicly traded or have been acquired by companies like Walmart. So these successful entrepreneurs became very active in supporting employees who left their companies and started new technology businesses, in being mentors to other entrepreneurs themselves, in becoming investors or, or, or providing money to other local venture capitalists. In the community of Bangalore, these people, if you map the relationships, are incredibly influential. And we can actually quantify that statistically. And you can just see that you know, in the local network, in the community, the most influential actors are people who've built successful companies. And they're exhibiting that give first, sort of pay it forward type mentality to support other local technology entrepreneurs. And what's interesting is, if you have worked for someone who's already been successful in Bangalore, or someone like that is your mentor or your angel investor, the likelihood that you are a top performer in your age cohort and the group of local companies started in the same year that you started your business goes up by like, two, three, uh, almost four times. Wow. What we can see, and statistically, the likelihood of this kind of being a random coincidence is basically nothing, right? So there's just something about having these sorts of relationships, having these, sort, these sorts of connections that is empowering not just that first generation of entrepreneurs who had success, but a second, a third, even now kind of a fourth generation of people who are, are building companies that are really scaling and having a, a really impressive impact. So... These, I might call them influencers, these key people in Bangalore who um, end up being mentors, investors, former colleagues. How did that compare to the influencers in Nairobi and the approach that they took to their community? So in Nairobi, it's a very different picture. I think one of the unintended consequences of having so many uh, actors come in from outside the community, those aid organizations, those international foundations, was that they set up accelerators and other programs in the community to support local entrepreneurs. But instead of recruiting the, the, the most talented local entrepreneurs, the most successful local entrepreneurs to help set those organizations up, or even staff them or sit on a board of directors and provide some leadership, the people that they brought in to run these organizations were expats in many cases, people who had no experience being entrepreneurs themselves. And as you can imagine, if someone's running an accelerator that's focused on how to build a, a technology business that's going to scale in a place like East Africa, that has never really spent much time living in East Africa, that has never worked at an entrepreneurial company, let alone been an entrepreneur, it would be like trying to learn Spanish from someone who doesn't know how to speak Spanish. And so uh, what we see is very few of the companies coming out of those sorts of organizations we're getting much traction or are, are really growing in any meaningful way. The other challenge is, is when you have all of that support and all that money flowing in, 
to these sorts of organizations that had been set up, it is really increasing the influence of those leaders, right? Those expats who haven't been entrepreneurs themselves. What that does is on a relative basis, it's decreasing the local influence of successful entrepreneurs, the ones who do exist in the community. We interviewed entrepreneurs in, in Nairobi and people really focused on, oh, I want to be a part of this program because it's supported by this foundation. And that is in some way prestigious. Or I want to get a grant from this local aid organization because that comes from the United States or that comes from the UK or something that seems prestigious versus I really want to have this other entrepreneur who's built a really successful local business be my mentor or be my seed stage investor. And so there was a crowding out effect in Nairobi. And consequently, we see that the entrepreneurs in Nairobi who have been successful are just less active as mentors, as investors. I would also add that this community then ends up supporting entrepreneurs that value prestige versus the entrepreneurs who just want to build great big companies. And this vicious circle is created of maybe the wrong founders making kind of wrong decisions, working with kind of wrong mentors, right? People who are participating in these programs aren't very likely to grow. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's finish with this notion here. So, you know, what I've learned from you, not just today, but in, in your readings and your research and, and our interactions is that be careful of taking more of a top-down approach that seems to be kind of more structured and seems to look good on paper because what you're going to create are influencers who don't understand entrepreneurship fundamentally, and that actually will have a negative impact those communities that elevate entrepreneurs, especially successful ones, and create situations where they're connected to the community in a very strong way, it seems to yield better results. So in terms of measuring, one of the things that you might think about measuring is looking at who the influencers are and how to possibly elevate more entrepreneurs into positions of influence and make sure organizations are staffed with people who have been on some part of the entrepreneurial journey. That's how I have interpreted your work. Is that a fair summary? I think that's an excellent summary. We need to be thinking about in these sorts of complex systems like entrepreneurship communities, what are the activities that we want to encourage from what types of actors? And from that, that can give us a good sense of the types of things that we want to measure. Oftentimes, those things are really difficult to measure. Like trying to figure out how much mentorship is happening in a community is really hard to do. You basically have to ask all the people that you want to be active as mentors, you know, uh, what they're doing. I mean, it requires direct survey. If instead you want to count how many people participated in an incubator program or an accelerator program, well, you can just go to the website, right, of, the, of those programs and you can just count. That's easy. But oftentimes in complex systems, the things that are easy kind of lead us down the wrong paths in terms of measurement. And, and we need to be thinking about starting from more first principles what are the activities that we want to see happening and who are the actors that we want to see doing those activities and then design our measurement around that. We've just heard from Rhett Morris about measuring entrepreneurial ecosystems. This was by far one of my most favorite interviews we've conducted so far. I can't wait to have him back for an update on his work and his leadership around this topic. Now let's bring in Brad to bring us home and share his final thoughts. So Brad, we just heard from Rhett Morris, who went into details about the way that he and Endeavor have done kind of the influencer mapping and how important that is. That's a big bite and a lot of work. Is there a different way that nascent communities can look at influencers and 
what are other kind of things that they can measure if you're just getting started and don't have a couple hundred grand to figure that out? I think early on or when people in the startup community are trying to get their minds around what's going on in the particular startup community on this dimension, it's often relatively easy to do that kind of mapping without having to do a deep research project. And for example, like when I look back at Boulder in 1995, 96, 97, when I first showed up here, With the benefit of hindsight, you know, there were probably a dozen people who were really the influencers. There were more than that that were actively engaged in the startup community at the time. But the influencers weren't necessarily the people who were the visible ones. Right, right. Right. You know, it might be a VC who was a visible person, but that person wasn't really the influencer of the startup community for a variety of reasons. They might have, you know, want to really tightly control the network. They maybe didn't view it as a positive sum game. And so they're trying to capture a bunch of stuff for themselves. Maybe they didn't really care that much about the health of the startup community. They were much more focused on their own portfolio. And it's not that those people don't have positions of power, but in terms of the health and the growth and development of the startup community, in a lot of ways, they're not adding as much as other people who are in that influencer role. Reed Hoffman, who was part of PayPal and was one of the execs there and was part of the PayPal mafia, one of the most successful seed stage investors sort of emerging from that with his own money and then on to be an extraordinarily successful founder of LinkedIn and then an extraordinarily successful investor at Greylock. Like if you look at Reed in the position of all of the networks that get created, he is this gigantically powerful influencer. But if you went back to when he was at PayPal, that wasn't necessarily obvious. So what a place to look is in these emerging companies in your cities. And in Boulder, for example, two of those companies that I was deeply involved in, and I'm very aware of where those people went, because I was deeply involved in those companies, would be Rally Software, which went public and got bought by Computer Associates, and SendGrid which went public and got bought by Twilio. In both of those companies, each company had its own very powerful cultural norms and a very significant glue uh, that held the companies together as they grew very quickly. And as people left those companies to do other things, whether they joined a company, whether they started a company, whether they became an executive company, whether they provided angel funding for the next company, you can start to trace these very tight networks that grow and evolve. So what I'm hearing from you is that you don't have to have engage in a big expensive model that if you can find ways to identify influencers, track them, track who they're connected to, track who connects to them, you can start to see the patterns that emerge that you can then amplify the things that hopefully will help grow your ecosystem whether they're getting them to show up at certain activities or getting them involved in certain activities. What else besides influence, tracking, and mapping? What other kind of things would you be interested in that we could throw into this broad measurement brush? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with who. Who is doing the measure? Because much of the measurements are a function of the motivation or incentive of whichever actor you're dealing with. And I think this is important because a lot of what happens is, you know, 
and we've talked about this before, easy things get measured and they often get measured because of an agenda. And so the media wants to write articles about how much venture capital was raised, how much funding was done, which are the next big companies, who's got more power. I mean, you're looking for a story, right? You know, the the endless lists, the the endless highlighting of different things. And that's because the media's agenda is to sell more newspapers, generate more clicks, generate more page views, that sort of thing. Like there's a motivation. Is that information important? Is it more important to know whether Cary, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, or Raleigh, North Carolina had more companies funded last quarter? Uh, Is it important to know the aggregate market cap of one or those three cities? Absolutely not. None of those things are interesting. It's not a one versus the other. Like, you know, kind of who gives a shit? That's not interesting, but always an agenda. The government and especially local and state governments tend to also have measurement agendas. Yeah. To justify spending for certain things or to justify how good somebody is doing in their role in government, whether it's a functional role or a leadership role. They're going to measure the stuff that's relatively easy. And often it's not important. That's fine. So there's all these easy measures. We talk about it. What are the important measures? And the way I think about it now, the answer is there aren't that many. It's only interesting from the perspective of the measurer. So if my job is economic development in city government and my budget is justified on certain things happening or my bonus is justified based on certain things happening, that's the stuff I'm going to measure. And from a startup community perspective, is that useful? At a direct level, not really. But from the perspective of if it's a way for city government to engage more because those metrics are positive feedback loop metrics. If you then say, well, okay, Brad, that's fine, but let's get to the essence of the entrepreneur, an individual founder of a company in the context of a startup community, what measurements are important to her? And my answer is, I don't think any of them are. I think the qualitative network map is incredibly important. Who's connected to who and how you can get connected to whom and where the power is and who's a reliable source of feedback. And like, that's important. Yeah. I call these the big three, measuring number of net new startups, amount of capital, and the number of jobs. I think those are interesting things to measure. But again, when strategies get built around them, it's when the thing falls apart. Those are like financial statements in a company. Those are measurements looking back. So yeah, I care a lot about the financial statements in this moment. But those financial statements have almost nothing to do with the future predictive characteristics of the company. They have very little to do with the strategy of the company, and in some cases, none at all, unless the financials are in a particularly good or bad place that will drive a different strategy dynamics. Founders who manage by looking backward and measuring what has happened are generally much less effective than ones who know what has happened and are very much focused on looking forward. Let me finish on this question. Is there value in measuring things over time. Does that have any value in startup community building? So longitudinal measurements are always much more interesting than point in time measurements, but a complex system does not grow and evolve linearly. But most complex systems, in fact, all complex systems don't behave that way because the inputs generate outputs, which then become inputs. And it's very hard to predict what's going to happen based on all the different things that are going on. The other set of people. that find it interesting are historians. 
people who are trying to tell the story of what happened in a particular place. Let me come back to Boulder. I've lived here 25 years. I can be a very good qualitative historian of Boulder, and I can do a pretty good job of the Boulder startup community. I can do a pretty good job of writing a story of it. And if you read the startup communities book, you can go back and see pieces of it from 2012 and some of the examples and people that were involved. But there's no longitudinal measurement. It's totally qualitative. And it certainly didn't start in 2012. The Boulder startup community started in 1950, 1960. And an example of that would be uh, a lunch conversation I had with a guy named John Hill. And for people who are listening to this from Boulder, my guess is most people who are in the Boulder startup community don't know who John Hill is. And John Hill was one of the first VCs in Boulder. And he started uh, a venture firm called Hill Carmen and was an investor in some of the uh, seminal and early companies and was, you know, good friends with some of the other entrepreneurs at the time, people like Jesse Alita and Juan, uh, Juan Rodriguez. And the, the totally fascinating thing about it is in 2021, like you say, John Hill, people are like, I don't know how you're talking about. The, the conversation when I sat with him and had lunch, I probably took 30 or 40 pages of notes of history that I didn't know anything about. And was any of that useful to me whenever I sat down and, and, and had uh, lunch with him? I mean, it was intellectually interesting. It was good history, but it didn't have a lot to do anymore with what was going on because of so many things that had happened. Right. And certainly nothing to do with what tomorrow's going to bring, right? That's right. You know, were there things I could learn from it? Absolutely. There's tons of stuff to learn from history. Are there lessons that get played out over and over again, mistakes that are made over and over again? Absolutely. So there's richness in that, in a conversation with that, but it's not a predictive thing. It's a reflective thing. Yeah. And I'll just end with, there is value in the reflective thing, but so many people, especially entrepreneurs and startup communities are trying to figure out how to do next rather than how to replicate past or they don't want to replicate past because next feels better. Hey, we just had a great discussion about the challenge of measuring ecosystem progress and how each of us and our approach to measuring impact can either bolster or possibly inhibit our activities. In other words, choose your goals and more importantly, your metrics wisely as they may have unintended consequences. We'd love to hear more about what you think about this episode or any other in the series. So just email us at producer at yourstartupcommunity.com. Have someone you think would be a great guest or maybe a specific topic you'd like to see us do a deep dive on? Or want to see a question you have raised on a future episode? Record it and send it to us. I'll play it and then have Brad or Ian or a guest answer it. Again, simply email us at producer at yourstartupcommunity.com. Until next time, I am Chris Hively, your host of Your Startup Community.